If you have your Bibles, let's open up to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is where we are today. We have been taking this trip through the Gospel of John. We made it through the book of seven signs that go all the way up to chapter 12. The first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John are really about the signs that God has attested to the power of Jesus, that God has sent his son, Jesus, into the world to proclaim the good news, and that he attested these signs. And signs are an interesting thing because um, some people see signs and they then believe. And sometimes people see signs and they misunderstand. And so the Gospel of John is this constant kind of working through of God making himself known and present and people kind of misunderstanding that. And the goal in the Gospel of John, at the end he says, um, Jesus did a lot more things than what are just recorded in this book, but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Eternal life is a major thing in the Gospel of John. But these things, when we see Jesus, what we want to do is we see what Jesus has done, and we believe. We're at a point in the book where we jumped over a little bit to the, the death and resurrection, but we're not quite there yet because we had Good Friday and Easter Sunday. But we're, we kind of went back to the last night of Jesus' life, and we have these four chapters at the, that begin the first section of this last half of the book of John, these four chapters that are really this farewell speech of Jesus. And we talked about this a little bit last week, that in the Jewish world, the last words of someone were words that were supposed to carry a particular weight to them. You might have experienced this with someone that you loved, maybe on their deathbed, and they said something to you. And you have that, and you might treasure that in your heart because there's a certain weight that comes with an end-of-life speech or an end-of-life statement, something that grounds us. And what we have here in the Gospel of John, these four chapters, is this kind of end-of-life farewell speech. Obviously, Jesus is going to die but raise again. But on this last night that he is alive with his disciples, he wants them to know something that is going to ground them, that they can put in their hearts, that is going to carry them through the tough days that are going to come as they move out into the world after Jesus ascends. And so where we're at today is we're in a passage that is, um, thank you for reading it this morning, Brian, but this, this very um, iconic passage, the passage where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. So what I want to do today is I kind of want to walk through that, look at what the analogy is, and see what God has for us today here at Taft Avenue as we think about abiding in the vine and abiding in Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John 15, 1, and we'll just start right here. 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Now, one of the reasons why, so remember back in chapter 10, okay, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, right? And we recognize that one of the reasons why he uses these analogies is because they're very familiar to the people that he is speaking them to. People would have been familiar with sheep. We're not as familiar with sheep here in the city of Orange. I'm sure there are some sheep in the city of Orange, but probably not a lot. In the same way, he uses this analogy of the vine and the branches and grapevines because it would have been very familiar to, the, to his disciples. Now, again, here in the great city of Orange, I don't know how many grapevines we have. Anybody? Any hands? We have some. 
You got to go to the Ramlow's house to understand this analogy, I suppose, is what's going on. But we don't, we don't just have fields of grape. We, we used to have fields of, you know, different produce and strawberries, and, and, but not as much grapes. You got to go into the inland. You got to go to like Murrieta to get wine country of Southern California, or you have to go up to Central Coast or something like that, or Napa to get into wine country. But you might get a little bit more familiarity with the idea of what's going on. But in an agrarian society, all of these disciples probably would have had vines if they had a family farm of some kind where they raised anything, whether it was wheat or they grew anything, they would have had a portion of their family property where they would have had vines or grapevines. They would have known about tending grapevines, part of their family farms, and uh, grapes in, in the first century, especially in the Jewish first century, grapes could be used as table grapes, like what we usually get, you drive through on the 99 up in the Central Valley and you see all these grape fields and you see these clusters of grapes hanging down, those are table grapes. But if you go up into like Napa and you go through those fields or you go into the Central Coast and you see those, those grapes that are growing are being grown for wine. So you had both of those varieties going on in the first century in the ancient world. But what was most important about this, why this was significant, we're going to look at, Jesus does a couple things with this analogy that help us maybe understand what's happening here. One of the things is this, that when the nation of Israel thought of its good years, like when, when they were being blessed, when, they were, when, when the sun was shining and the rain was falling and the plants were growing and the birds were singing and the flowers were growing, like when everything was really good, the way that got measured was by me, the way you measured a good year was, was the wine good. We know, like you know this, if you're wine drinkers out there, you know that there are vi- different vintages of a field or a brand are some are better or worse. And the nation of Israel noted it's, it's, that it, how well it was doing based on how good the vintage was, which meant how good the grapes were. And so one of the things that we're looking at here, one of the things I want to point out is that um, wine, the wine imagery and the vintage imagery is something we need to hold on to. And I want to hit that at the very end and to talk again about what is the point of growing grapes? Like the point of growing grapes is wine. That's the point here. But I I, I want to come back to that in just a second. But there's a couple of things that Jesus does. First of all, the other, so the other thing, so the good years were noted by the quality of the vintage. So good years meant thriving vines and good grapes. But the bad years were when it was not as rainy, was not as much blessing, was not as sunshiny. And oftentimes in Scripture, what you'll see is you'll see the nation of Israel compared to a vineyard or compared to a vine. And what we'll see that God will say when when Israel's doing well, that his vine is growing and producing fruit, but when when, when Israel is not doing well, that the Lord will say, look, I've been dumping rain on you, but all you have produced is thistles. Or I've been dumping rain on you, and all you produce is all these kind of wild, bitter grapes. And so there is this sense in which the nation of Israel is compared to this vineyard or this vine. But listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, he says, I am not a vine. I am not only the vine, I am the true vine. In other words, so one of the things for the nation of Israel, there's a lot of pride in the nation of Israel 
that, hey, we're the, chosen, we're the chosen people, and if we're the vineyard, like, hey, I'm in the vineyard. I'm in the vineyard. Like, I've been born, I've been born of the Abrahamic promises, I'm in the vineyard. And I, I am in the vineyard, and that is what keeps me in. And I, I always remember this, when I, when I first became a Christian, there were kind of these pithy statements, and I, I hesitated whether or not I would share these, but um, when, I, when I first came to faith, I, I grew up Roman Catholic, and you know, in a lot of ways, as a Roman Catholic, it's like, well, are you going to church? Like, how do you know if you're doing well? I'm going to church. I'm doing the sacraments. I'm taking communion. Like, I'm, I'm doing confession. Like, I'm doing all these things, and I'm going to church. And I remember um, one of these, uh, an evangelist kind of talking about, like, what makes you a Christian? And he says, well, look, just because you're in a church doesn't make you a Christian. He says, same way as like, just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a car. Like, just because you're in McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, right? It's just because of where you are doesn't make you any particular thing. And I think this is one of the things that Jesus is saying here is he's like, just because you're a plant inside the vineyard does not mean you're connected to the source of life. Just because you're within the walls of the vineyard like, just because, you're, you know, just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a mechanic. Just because you're in a kitchen doesn't make you a chef. Like, there's skill and training. There are things. Where do you connect to those? How do, you, how do you know you're part of the vine? And Jesus says, look, I am the true vine. If you want to get on, if you want to get real life and real nourishment, nourishment that comes from God, I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. And here's the thing, if, and I don't, look, I, as much as I don't know anything about shepherding, but I preached enthusiastically about shepherding, okay? I don't know anything about taking care of vines, but I'm going to preach enthusiastically about taking care of vines, okay? So hang with me, okay? If there's anybody in here who has some expertise in this matter, okay? Because I'm like, I'm, da- I'm like, I looked up Rabbi Google, about vines? No, I'm just kidding. I, a, little bit, a little bit of research on vines. So here's a few things about vines. Vines have to be tended. Vines love to grow, okay? Vines love to grow. And I, I've, I, have, I have seen vines in various locations because I have seen them in the Central Valley. I've seen them up in Napa. I've seen them in Israel for table grapes. I've seen them as they've been trellised on sides of hills in Judea. I've seen how they do vines in Turkey as well, which is different. Each of these places has different ways of trellising vines. But the thing is, vines have to be taken care of, and here's why. If a vine just grows up, okay, it grows a lot of stuff on it. But what's the point of growing a vine? What's the point? Fruit, right? Now, some of us might grow it for shade because we live in Orange County and it's like, this looks really cool if I have a grapevine. Like, okay, but that's not, there. nobody's going for cool. Everybody's going for grapes. And if you just let a vine grow up, okay, it'll grow up as a trunk and then it'll, it'll go into two different directions and that's when it needs, it can either come back down on itself or you can start to trellis it out. But what you need is someone who takes care of the vine. It needs to be trimmed. It needs to be pruned. Growth needs to be timed. There are certain seasons of the year where trimming and pruning take place. And the right vine dresser, the right gardener, the right farmer makes a world of difference 
about the grapes, that not everybody, like, if you think about wines and, and, um, and you think about good wines, they get, you could have the same two wineries in the same location, in the same soil, same vines, but the difference is how they're tended. And so God, so Jesus says, I'm the vine, but my father, he's, he's, the, he's the vine dresser extraordinaire. He knows the timing. He knows what to do. And these vines have to be taken care of. And this is what we hear about the tending of the branches. Look at John 15, 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You already are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, I'm just a little bit about this, and we talked a little about the anatomy here of what it takes, but, um, and we're going to come back to the grapes in just a second, but um, we have these various forms of trellising, but you need someone who can, when it comes up, who can trim and who can prune. And um, if it just grows, so because there's so much leafy growth on a vine, what ends up happening is this. If it grows up and you trellis it out, and you just let it grow. There's so much leafy growth that the leaves will essentially start to overtake the, the arms. And I, I, I got to get the terminology down here. So uh, it takes root in the soil, and then the trunk grows about shoulder height, and then you get what they call two canes. There's canes that come off, and it's off of the canes that you start to get shoots that either come up or go down. And you can train those to either grow grapes up or you can train them to grow down. Different types of grapes demand different types of, uh, of trellising. But vine dressers can decide where the vines are going to grow and the way they trellis the vine. I think this is maybe the first point that we need to understand with, with the Father, with uh, how Jesus says, my Father is the vine dresser. It's up to the vine dresser to tell the branches where to grow. The vine dresser is the one, by trellising, he says, you need to grow in that direction. And if a vine is like, no, I want to go this way, he's going to be like, nope, we're going to wrap you around this, and we're headed in this direction. Trellising, the, the father is the one who does the work of trellising and moving in those directions. One of the other interesting things is as, there's a number of things about these that are, um, there's so many, so much leafy growth, so many buds, each bud, so you've got it coming up on, out of the, the, the root, the trunk, and then you've got the canes, and then off of the canes, you have these sprouts, and off of these sprouts, it's out of, off of these sprouts, that's where the, uh, that's where the grapes are going to come. But each bud produces three buds. There's a primary, a secondary, and a tertiary, and here's the deal. They, it does that so that it will, it will kind of maintain its life, but the secondary and tertiary, the second and third buds, don't produce much fruit. The primary one is the one that produces fruit. So what the farmer has to do is go out, and as these things bud out, he's got to trim off the secondary and, and tertiary buds. Otherwise, that's going to take a lot of the sap and a lot of the nutrients to grow these branches that are not going to produce any fruit. And so what he has to do is he has to go on and he has to prune, he has to cut off stuff that is going to look all very leafy and green, but it's not going to produce fruit. 
These need to be pruned. They, it's too nutrient intensive to do this. And so what he does is he prunes. And we're going to come back to this idea of taking away and all that stuff, but he prunes. And what this brings up is that Jesus is going to say, look, you've got to do this pruning. The Father, I'm the vine, you're the branches, the Father is the pruner. He's the vine dresser. He's going to trellis you, he's going to prune you, he's going to take off things that don't need growth, that don't need nutrients, and he's going to train you in a direction that you need to go. Look at John 15, 4. He says, abide in me, Jesus says this, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. One of the things about this, if there's a key word to this passage, does anybody know what it is? It's abide. If you have the NIV, then yours says remain in me. If you have the ESV or another, it says abide in me. The word abide occurs nine times in this passage, in 11 verses, nine times. The Greek verb, the Greek verb is meno, which means it has a range of meanings. It can mean abide, um, which is a little bit churchy. I'll have to tell, I, I would admit, if I say abide, like I don't know how many other places you see the word abide, unless you're watching like the Big Lebowski or something like that. So a couple of chuckles. Thank you, everybody. Don't watch it if you haven't seen it. Um, anyway, uh, but this idea, it, has, it can mean abide. It can mean to stay. There are times in the Gospel of John where it talks about Jesus stayed in a certain spot. It's the same verb, that he just was there and he was staying. It can mean uh, to live in a place. It can also mean to remain or to continue or to persist. Almost a third of the occurrences of this verb are in the New Testament are in the Gospel of John. But John will oftentimes use it to show the idea of having presence in a place or having an enduring presence and connection between Jesus and his followers. That Jesus will abide in them and they will abide in Jesus. Jesus will remain in them and remain in Jesus. Jesus will continue in them. They will continue in Jesus. Look at 15.4. In 15.4, it begins with this command, abide in me. It's what we call an imperative that Jesus says, hey, you guys, y'all, abide in me. It's a command. And one of the things that I think is helpful for us is if we think about this idea, like, what does it mean to abide? What does it mean to stay in Jesus, to remain in Jesus. And he says the reason why the branches cannot bear fruit unless they're connected to the source of life and nourishment. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, if you're not abiding in me, you can do nothing. I think if you think about just the, the nature of this, if, if you are not abiding in the vine, if you're not staying connected, if you think about this, all of the nutrients and water, everything that you need to grow, that the vine needs to grow, the branches need to grow, are coming from the ground. 
and the root system of the vine, of the trunk, that's where you're getting all those nutrients. All the vines up here, they're getting sunlight and everything else, but they're not getting water and the nutrients and everything they need from the soil. Abiding in the vine is staying connected to the life and nourishment. Jesus is saying, if you want life and you want nourishment, I have it. I'm the trunk. I'm the trunk of this whole thing. And I have roots that go deep. I know how to access the nourishment and life that you need. And what you need to do is you need to stay connected to the thing that is going to give you that nourishment. You need sap. You've got to get sap. You need all the sap from Jesus that you can get. And the way you get that sap is you stay connected. You abide. Abiding in the vine is staying connected to the life and nourishment of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the training and trellising of the Father. You think about this Trinitarian nature that Jesus is the, is the vine, you've got the Holy Spirit abiding in, and, and the Father is trellising and pruning. Now, one of the things about this passage, and I'll, I'll, um, there are some darker tones in this passage, are there not? Like, there is this question about what about branches that do not stay connecting sap from the vine. What about those, like in 15.6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. And I think this is a, yeah, even if you look up back up in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Now, I'm going to, I don't want to dodge this, but I, I don't think I will, but you can, you can be the judge. Um, but there is some tension here. Because so much of what we hear, Jesus is welcoming people in. He's welcoming, his arms are wide open, that he comes to preach peace to those who are far off. But there is this, set, this question about what happens if there are branches that, are, that say they're in Jesus, but they do not bear fruit. And I think this is, well, first of all, there's, there's a number of things just to point out about this, and we'll talk about the goal in a second, but bearing fruit is the goal. Bearing fruit is the goal. Growth is not the goal. I mean, that sounds weird to say. Bearing fruit, and there is a, there's, a, there's a little bit of a distinction, like just being green, leafy and green is not the goal. Just looking pretty is not the goal. The goal is bearing fruit. And so the question, and I think in, in this whole thing, just as a whole thing, healthy branches are connected to the nutrients and healthy branches will produce fruit. And the question is, what do we do with branches that do not bear fruit? And what Jesus is going to say is that, hey, no, branches that don't bear fruit, there's something that has gone wrong. There's something that has gone wrong. And so one, there's a couple of things. This is what I want to say about this, and about this tension, that abiding branches bear fruit, non-abiding branches do not bear fruit. Instead, what do they do? It says in here that they wither. 
It says that they wither. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And I think that the imagery here is you've got, you've got this healthy plant and you have this piece, this branch that's connected to the healthy plant. It might be connected, but it's not accessing that sap and it's starting to wither on the vine. It's dying on the vine. And when those branches wither, they are removed. And so I suppose the question is, you know, in this, and this is where, I, it, like, ultimately this is an analogy. It's hard to, like, work your whole soteriological doctrinal statement about what, is, what does this look like about eternal perseverance. But I think generally speaking, he's saying healthy branches are producing fruit. Fruit is the goal. But sometimes you see a branch that is not only not bearing fruit, but it's, look like, it's looking like it's dead. It's, like, it's withering. And the withering, what I would argue, is that when you have branches, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. When you have branches that are withering, that there's two things that can happen. Either they can, be, they can wither and be removed, but there's this one verb, there's this one point in, look, if you look up in chapter, uh, in chapter t- uh, 15, verse 2, it says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. All right. Nerd alert, geek mode, just for a second. Okay. The verb there is this verb in Greek, it's, it's the verb iro, which has a, a, a range of meanings. Two of them are, it can be either to take away or to lift up. And so the question is, in, in the middle of this, what do we do with branches that don't bear fruit? Now, some, some will argue that what he says is branches that don't bear fruit, prune, chunk, you know, like get out the loppers, chunk, you know, and take it off. And, and I think that, that that very well could be what this is. But I, I also want to give a little bit of a nod here because I think experientially what we've all experienced is this. There are times in our lives where we might not have abided super closely. Okay, that's just me. Nobody else in here, okay, has had an experience like that, Okay. But I think what we, what we can kind of sometimes say is that sometimes what happens is if I'm not abiding super closely, that sometimes God can put things in my life that will essentially prop me up, that will lift me up. And one of the ways that some people argue about this is that, yeah, there are times where you see the withering branches on there, but sometimes if there's no fruit, that sometimes what the vine dresser does is he says, the problem is this is not getting enough sun. And so what he does is he takes a stick underneath that branch and he props it up so it gets more sunlight so it can be more healthy. Yes, there are going to be times where in the analogy where there's pruning and there's lopping off, but there's also times where the farmer's like, no, this is going to produce fruit. I just need to get it closer to the sun and make sure that there's nothing that's blocking the sap, like that it's doing well. And so I, I don't want to be like, I don't want to dodge the issue because I do, I would say this, healthy branches produce fruit. And I'll ask you by the end of this sermon, like, are you producing the sort of fruit that Jesus is talking about here? It's a good question. It's a good diagnostic question. If you had vines that you were relying on for fruit, you would ask the same question of this vine. And God who's like, I, these are my people, I love them, I'm going to ask this question of them. Are you producing fruit? Not just are you getting a bunch of leafy growth. Are you producing what I'm asking you to produce? I 
I think the other thing, so sometimes, maybe he does lift us up instead of just take us away, okay? There are going to be times where he takes us out or he prunes things out of our lives that we're like, I like that leafy branch. That's my favorite leafy branch. And God's like, that's just a leafy branch. It's not important. And God will prune. And we will feel what everyone feels when things get pruned out of their lives, like a little pain, a little grief. And God will say, look, you don't need that. I know you don't need that. Like all those apps on your phone, I know you don't need those. People live for thousands of years without that phone. They did just fine, maybe even better. Like, maybe you can get pruned. Like, and I'm not, I'm not saying your phone because I've got mine in my pocket. My son's running the marathon. I get an update when he crosses the line, right? Okay, so I'm like waiting for it to go, bzz, and then I'm like, yes, okay. Um, but look, there might be things that in your life, in seasons that God says, I got to prune that out. There might be times and seasons where he says, I've got to prop you up. But one thing that we hear, even as he says, abide in me, there's also a promise with this. Listen to the promise that with the command, there's a promise, 15.4, abide in me and I in you. He actually gives himself a command. He says, you all abide in me and I will abide in you. And it's not conditional. Jesus says, I am going to be in this with you. I and the Father, we're going to come and make our home in you through the Holy Spirit. That's what we talked about about the Holy Spirit. The plan is that the Father does the trellising and the pruning and the training. And Jesus is going to come and abide and remain in us. And we're going to receive life and nourishment by means of the Holy Spirit. Just really quickly in 14, 17, he talks about even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. It's mutual abiding. This is not just, I, I, what I don't want you to hear in this sermon is just like, hey, you got to try harder. Like, if you walk out of here and you're just like, hey, you just need to try harder. I got, there was a season of my life of faith where I just felt like every time I heard someone speak, all it was was try harder, try harder, try harder. And I just felt guilty. I felt like piled on. I felt like I couldn't do it because the truth is I can't do it. You can't bear fruit apart from the nourishment of the vine. And here's the thing, like, yes, we need to pay attention to our lives, but we also need to pay attention to the source of our nourishment in life. And the truth is, God says, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to get in there. I love that Jesus says, like, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And I, one of the questions you might ask is, like, what's the difference? Like, where does the vine and the branch, where do they, where... Like, are they not, they're the same thing. They're both a, a grapevine. And this idea that Jesus is like, I'm going to get in you, and I'm going to work this out. We're going to work this all out together. I think if there's just one thing, I would, this idea about just staying connected with Jesus. How do we abide? He's going to abide in us by means of the Holy Spirit. How do we abide? We stay connected. We look for nourishment. We keep our, we keep our eyes on. We've talked about faith. Faith is, like, repenting is just turning and facing towards God, a fundamental orientation toward God. 
Like, how do you abide? Well, I have 30 minutes of quiet time every day. Like, that's great. You have 30 minutes of quiet time every day. Like, what about the rest of your day? You got to abide. You got to face him. It doesn't have to, like, it doesn't have to be, I'm not talking, quiet times are great. Reading your Bible is great. But there is this kind of fundamental orientation in a world that asks us to live as if there is no God that we say no. I'm going to spend my day imagining that there is a God, knowing that his name is Jesus and that he died on the cross and everything I see and everything I touch, that, ha- that makes a difference to him. It's not just 30 minutes of reading my Bible every day. Abiding is not just, there are great practices, there's great trellising and practices that take place, prayer and Bible study, but there's also simply this fundamental orientation toward God on a daily basis, on a, on a minute-by-minute basis. And yes, we, we go off of that every, every once in a while. We go off of that. We're forgetful. God, but no matter how forgetful we are, God always rejoices that we reorient. He always rejoices that we reorient. We abide. We orient ourselves towards him no matter what. All right. We'll finish this up with, with this. Um, all right, fruit. Fruit is the goal. Fruit is the goal. Uh, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. That's verse 8. And then prove to me to my disciples. As my Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. What is the fruit? What is the fruit? In this passage, there are two things. Actually, well, there's actually three things that are fruit. The first thing that's fruit is love. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Verse 9. As my Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. The first fruit is simply love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The second thing is, is, is joy. Look at verse 1511. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I think this is really interesting because the fruit in this passage is love and joy. When you go to the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians and he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, what are the first two fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy, and then peace and patience and faithfulness and goodness and gentleness, right? Love and joy. You look at 15.7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. I think the third, I think the third fruit, not only love and joy, but asking God for stuff. Asking God that he would make himself known in this earth. Asking God that he would provide. There's a great joy that he has in this. Look at, in 1516, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. There's something about when we are abiding in the vine, when we're abiding in Jesus, We feel a freedom to ask in Jesus' name to the Father and to ask for things, to ask him to provide, to ask him because we have the mind and the sensibilities of Jesus if we're abiding and that we would ask, we would request our Father. All right, as we finish this up, in the analogy of vines and vineyards, there's a couple things. It turns out that the only place on a vine that actually produces fruit is the wood on the vine that is one year old. When something grows, it grows like a vine, 
And then in that season, it grows like a vine. It doesn't produce any fruit in that season, in, in the growth season. And then what happens is over the course of the year, it hardens up like wood. And then the next year is the year that it actually produces fruit out of that section. The rest of it is what we call old growth. The old growth is important because you still have that you still get nutrients from the old growth. Like that's that's still where all the xylem and phloem and they go through there and it comes from there. But in those sections of old growth is not where the fruit comes. It comes from kind of the recent growth, not the newest growth, but the recent growth. And here's the thing. Sometimes the old growth can produce all the leaves and stuff like that, but that stuff all has to get chopped off. And this is one of the things Old growth can actually be a little bit of a hindrance to fruit. And I think this is one of the things about our congregation, one of our values as a congregation of growing people, that one of the things we want to recognize is that in order to produce fruit, we always, we have to have new growth. We have to have new personal growth. I need to be a growing person because if I just stale, if I just stagnate, if my whole Christian life is just, well, this happened a year, 10 years ago. This happened 20 years ago. This happened 30 years ago. Like if that's all we talk about, if that's all we have, if I'm like, hey, God saved me at at the age of 14 and I'm living off of those victories, that's not what God has in mind. If we're the vine, there needs to be constant new growth because we have sections of what's happening now. It's what's happening a year ago that's producing the fruit that we're seeing. What we're seeing now is new growth. And I think this, this idea that as we think about fruit, it, one, it takes some time for fruit to come. Like, yeah, I, in a congregation of growing people, I would understand that like, we don't see instantaneous fruit. It's not like we're like, I'm going to try to produce fruit. Like, right? That's not how this works. We don't just squeeze out a, a, a bud, you know, and then it becomes an apple, like overnight. That's not how this works. It takes time. But it also means that we can't just rest on the old growth. The old growth is not going to produce any fruit for today. God has new things for us in every season of our lives. Every season of our lives. As a matter of fact, it's one of the great gifts that he gives us that it's never too late for God to work in a life and to rejuvenate. And some of you, I think, have experienced this recently that you've had a a season of your life where God is like, new growth, it's time, we're growing. And you're like, oh my gosh, like this is awesome. And you're experiencing new growth. That's the beauty of what God does when he brings us out of maybe a disoriented season into new orientation is it's all fresh, it's all new, this is awesome. And then what you're going to see is that on the tail end of that, as you move through that, you're going to see, oh, there's... And we're going to see fruit come out of all of those things, but it's because of the recent growth. And I think one of the great prayers that we can pray, even if we feel maybe a little stagnated, even if we feel like, man, I don't know what God, I don't know when the last time I really felt God at work, is just to ask, is just to ask, because that's part of the fruit, is just to ask like, God, would you help me to see some new growth in this next month? Would you help me to see some new growth in my life, some new personal growth in my life in the next month? Because what I, what I, in this analogy, if you see new growth in the next month, then what you'll see in the, next, in the next six months is fruit. A, a time set aside 
for some trellising, some pruning, to say, God, I want you to prune. I want to see new growth. I want to see what you have for me. That it might be painful in the immediate season, but as you move out three months, six months, I think what we start to see is you see, you, when you pay attention to the vine, we see fruit on the tail end of that. It doesn't happen immediately. That's why we're patient. That's why God is patient with us. And then the last thing is this. If the fruit is love and joy, I, I guess there's one other thing I want to, um, why do you make, why do we grow grapevines? For wine. I think sometimes we forget, like, this is, this is a, this is a image about growing grapes for great wine. I love that when Jesus is like, hey, you know what we're going to do, you and me, and my, you, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and you know what we're going to do? We are going to make awesome wine. I know, we're like, you know, we're, whether or not you drink wine or not, okay, whatever you think about alcohol, in the first century, in the Jewish world, wine was consumed at every celebration. Not every day, but at every celebration. It was a marker of celebration. It made the heart glad because we were all, when I drank it, I was always around friends and family and great food, and I was celebrating what God had done. That, it was built into the Torah, these feasts. And whenever you did that and you drank wine, and you know what Jesus says is, what we're going to do as a church is we are, what we do is we are going to produce love and joy and celebration. And I just want to ask, this is my question, and then we'll, 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 we'll move into the Lord's Supper. But my question to you is this, of those three fruits, love, joy, and celebration, how are you doing? If somebody looked at your life, would they say, yeah, that person's life is characterized by joy. That person's life is characterized by celebrating, just willing to celebrate with people. That person's life is characterized by love. That's the fruit that Jesus is talking about here. Love and joy and celebration. Look, a good doctrinal, I love a good doctrinal statement, everybody. I love a good doctrinal statement. I've been tra- I'm a trained theologian. I have a PhD. I love geeking out. I love that. Do you know what that is? That's trellis. That's trellis work. I love a good quiet time. I love good practices. I love Bible study. Do you know what that is? That's trellis. That's not fruit. That's the sort of stuff that is supposed to help the vine grow, but the ultimate goal is not to have the most awesome trellis in the world. The goal is to have really good fruit love, and joy, and a willingness to celebrate with people when God does something in their lives. Even if you're like, you, I mean, have you ever had people come up and you're like, celebrate with me, you're like, yeah, you're kind of weird. Like, do, have you ever had this before? I mean, I, maybe it's just me. Like, it, pe- people are rubbing you the wrong way. Like, fruit is like, hey, I'm going to ignore kind of the doctrinal weirdness of what you're talking about, and I'm just going to be happy with you. I'm just going to be joyful with you because 
I want to abide in the vine because I know that Jesus would do that. Jesus wouldn't step, he wouldn't pop your balloon. I think sometimes when we're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to get into it, but like the goal of the Christian life is not to pop people's balloons. The goal of the Christian life is to produce the fruit of love and joy and celebration. So my, the question is, we could talk all day long about trellising. That's great. I could give you all kinds of tips about Bible study and all that stuff and share a nice little tidbit about whatever it is, okay? But the real goal is really good wine, really good fruit of love and joy. We're gonna invite the worship team to come on up. And even as we enter into this, this, this time, back in chapter six, in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, um, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And we don't think there's anything magical about the, the juice and the, and the bread. It, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of Jesus' body and blood. But what Jesus says is that one of the things about abiding in me is that one of the symbols that I'm going to give you is that will you, will, will, will you let me be in you by means of participating in this meal, in the Lord's Supper, in communion? And so as we kind of come into this time, I just want us to enter in, with, in a time of reflection just to ask, like, how am I doing with love? Am I loving the people around me? Am I overlooking the wrongs to love people? How's my joy? Am I being characterized by joy? Am I willing to celebrate? Am I ready to celebrate? Am I anticipating being ready to celebrate? Because we want to abide in the vine.